Well, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 67. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 67, that would be great. This is a, a very fitting psalm to be looking at uh, before our missions conference because um, that's kind of the, the focus of this psalm, as we'll see. Why don't we uh, go ahead and read the psalm through and then we'll, we'll take a closer look at it. So Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word. And I just hope that as we Consider what this, what this psalm means. Uh, would you enlighten our hearts and our minds? Would you help us to, to understand? But more importantly than understanding, I pray that you would um, just give us a, a desire to, to do what the psalm is talking about. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you give it to us so that we can know how to live, how to uh, navigate this life. And Lord, I just, uh, I ask that as we, as we consider your word this morning, that you would speak through me, that, um, that you would be praised and that you would be glorified. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So before we get back to uh, Psalm 67, I just wanted to mention that uh, most of what I'm going to talk about today is been highly influenced by John Piper. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he wrote a, a book about missions called Let the Nations Be Glad. And uh, he's written a lot about this psalm. And so um, if you're thinking to yourself, well, that sounds like John Piper, it probably is. Um, <laughs> and if you want to know more about this psalm, uh, look him up and uh, he's got a lot to say about it. But uh, before we get to that, I have a question. Have you ever been involved in something that was uh, really exciting or maybe just a, a really significant event, uh, something that really meant something and something that was, that was bigger than just you, like more than just you having a great day? Um, you were with a, a group of people and you were all kind of coming together for a, a specific purpose and it was meaningful, like truly meaningful. You ever been a part of something like that? I can, I can think of, you know, some things in my own life and some are more significant than others. As I was kind of pondering this question and pondering this Psalm, um, you know, some of the things I, I think about in my life where I've been uh, part of something that was, that was uh, significant with others, and this one, like I said, 
they vary as far as importance goes, but I kind of went back to my glory days, you know, in high school, playing sports. We had a pretty good football team. I was part of the football team, made it to the, you know, final game, state championship, and lost. But even though we lost, it was still like a really cool experience. And, you know, it was, um, it was just neat to be like part of, the, part of the team and out there playing and like all the, all the hoopla that goes with it, you know, and, and the pep rallies and all that kind of stuff. Like, it was just cool. Like there was this, this event that we were all looking forward to and, and it, was, it was fun. And it, you know, I still remember it. It was like a, a significant thing. It's a game, like, I don't even want to know how many years ago that was. 20 years ago. You know, but I, I still remember it. And maybe you have some sports experiences like that. Um, there are other significant events that, that I can think of, though, that, that I've had the privilege of, of being a part of. Um, you know, one of them took place yesterday. Um, we had the opportunity to have a memorial service for, for Dorothy Finian. Um, you know, there's a lady who spent her life uh, serving God and doing it, not perfectly, but well, and had a, an impact on a lot of people. And like, that's a, that's a significant thing. And so it was cool to just be able to be here and, and see all the people and, you know, hear the memories and all that stuff. And it was good, and I was honored to be able to be up here. And you know, I just had a small part reading the eulogy, but it's like that was a significant, heavy, weighty event, you know. And it was good to be a part of it. There are other things, you know. Standing up here as a pastor, I've had the privilege of of marrying people. I've had what like performing the ceremony, not. Not that I have more than one wife. I only have one. <laughs> Love you, honey. Um, but I've also been involved in, you know, as like a groomsman and stuff too. And, and those are big events too. You know, you, it's just, it's neat to be able to be a part of something like that where, where two people are coming together. They're pl- pledging their lives together uh, because they, they love God. They love each other. And it's just, it's a very significant, waiting, meaningful thing, and it's, it's cool to be a part of that. We give honor to people who have been involved in, in big things. Um, veterans, you know, veterans who have been involved in, in different wars and, uh, and things, you know, like we, we honor them. We say, thank you for your service. And what, did they win the war, that person? No, but they were a part of it, you know? They were in the struggle. They were um, involved. And so we, we say, thank you. Thank you for your service. And we recognize, like, that is, that was a big thing, right? There's all kinds of different events that, that go on. And I asked, uh, you know, back to the sports thing, I asked Hannah if I could use her as a, an example because... Hannah's, uh, their basketball team is, they're undefeated this year, right? 
going to districts and hopefully on to state. Like that's kind of a cool thing. And she was saying how like they're, you know, the moms are getting together and giving them extra stuff at the ends of the games and stuff. And like there's excitement, there's uh, enthusiasm for this event. And it's, it's a thing that's great to be a part of. I could go on and on. Anybody, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that you can think of some events in your life where you've been involved like that and it's been something uh, that actually means something. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, no, I haven't. Well, here's the good news. No matter what kinds of, of significant events you've been involved in here on this earth, or what kinds you haven't been involved in but would like to be involved in, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are involved in something. And it's way more important than a football game or a basketball game or a wedding or a funeral or your service in the armed forces. You are involved in the event of all of human history. You are involved in the greatest plan there has ever been. If you are a part of the body of Christ, you are a part of the most significant, most awe-inspiring, ridiculously awesome event that there will ever be. Did you know that? Sometimes we forget that, don't we? What am I talking about? Turn to Revelation chapter 21. So there have been all kinds of judgments and God is revealing his power and his uh, hatred of sin in a lot of ways. And then we have Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. There's four verses there, a paragraph. And, you know, it's so, it's hard to, to read those verses and truly imagine what that's going to be like. You know, we just were so limited in uh, our ability to comprehend how, how glorious that's going to be. When a new heaven and a new earth are formed and the, and the holy city of Jerusalem comes down and God is 
ruling with justice and he wipes away every tear, every sorrow. And it's just joy unspeakable for all eternity. It, I just, you know, like words don't, <laughs> don't do that justice. It is the event that makes every other event pale in comparison. And you and I, if we've put our faith in Christ, are going to be there. We're going to be a part of that. And we're going to welcome God as the just king, the just ruler. And that's going to be such an amazing thing. It, it says there in verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. You know, if God showed up in this room right now, uh, that'd be kind of a scary thing. <laughs> because no man can see God and live. But here... We get to see God. We get to be with him, holy, unashamed. It's amazing. It's glorious. It's what we should hope for. It's what we should long for. And if we hope for that, and if we long for that, and, and, and if we really consider that we get to take part in that, it should move us to do certain things in our life. And this is exactly what Psalm 67 is talking about. Turn back there if you've if you flip to Revelation. Psalm 67 has a, a central verse. Uh, verse 4 is the key to the whole thing. And verse 4 says this, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. What this verse is looking forward to is what we just read in Revelation, where God is there and he is ruling and he is just, he rules the peoples with equity and he guides the nations of the earth because he's there, he's among them. This this verse has kind of a dual meaning because is God in control? Is he ruling now? Yes, he is. He's sovereign. He, he, bring, he raises nations up. He tears them down. He does his will. He is ruling. But there will be a day where he does it in a more personal, uh, seeable way. And we'll be there. For that, this didn't happen back when this psalm was written it, to its full extent. It's not happening now, but someday it will. And we need to look forward to that. But here's the thing. As we look forward to that, we have to realize that, um, that we play a part in it. And what is the part that we play? Well, as we look at this, we're going to see that the nation of Israel, the, the writer of this psalm, was calling the nation of Israel to, 
to have that end event of God ruling justly on earth in mind. But as they had that in mind, it it was supposed to drive them to do something. And that's what the other verses in the Psalm are about. Uh, If you look at the, the first couple of verses, it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So the writer is asking for blessing, but not just for blessing. Because verse two says, so that. Like God bless us, but bless us so that your ways, God's ways may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all the nations. Why is he asking for God's blessing? So that God and his name and his ways will be known throughout the earth. And news of his salvation will be clear to all the nations. If that happens, guess what the result will be? Verse three, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. If if Israel is faithful to take their blessings and to turn them into uh, evangelism, basically, making known God's ways and his salvation among the nations, the result is that the peoples, all people will praise the Lord. And if all people praise the Lord, then verse four the nations will be glad when he comes to rule. If they don't, they're not going to be so happy. But if Israel does what they're supposed to do and takes their blessing and turns it into uh, evangelism and spreading the, God's fame throughout the world, then the people will, will turn and will praise God. And when he comes to rule, it's going to be an amazing thing. And there's kind of a, this, this interesting structure to this psalm. Um, we have these verses that kind of build up to verse four, and then the rest of the verses kind of work backwards. Uh, so you see verse five is exactly the same as verse three. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. That, again, would be the result, hopefully, of Israel doing what they're supposed to do, And then verses six and seven are kind of a a repeat of what verses one and two say. The land yields its harvest. God, our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. We see the psalmist asking for blessing, but not just blessing, blessing so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. If you want to get technical, which I kind of like to do sometimes, um, This verse is called, uh, or this uh, psalm has a chiastic structure, chiasm. Um, Psalms are poetry, you know, and throughout time and throughout different cultures, we we come up with these different uh, ways to communicate things through poetry. You know, you have the Japanese haiku, which I just don't understand. It's three lines and they seem like they're totally... Uh, disconnected, but they're not, and they're kind of weird. Um, anybody remember this? 14 lines, iambic pentameter, rhyming scheme, A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. 
You want to know what it is? Karina? No? I thought you should. Anyone? A Shakespearean sonnet. I have no idea why that sticks in my head, but it does. <laughs> That's why I like trivia games. You know, it, it's, it's a form of poetry, and it has, uh, it has a certain rhyming scheme and this rhythm to it. And it's the same with the, the psalms. There are certain mechanisms in these psalms that are meant to, to communicate things. And, and chiasm, basically, you can think of it as like a, an arrow pointing to the main thing. So in this particular um, psalm, we have verses 1 and 2 are kind of like the, the first idea. May God bless us so that we make him known. First idea. Second idea, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the people praise you. So blessing resulting in telling about God. Result of that, people praise God. Result of that, verse four, when God comes to rule, the nations will be glad because they're praising God. They've heard of his salvation. They've heard of his ways and they welcome him. And then that's the main point. And now it kind of starts to work backwards to verse five again. May the peoples praise you. May all the peoples praise you. And back one more step, verses six and seven, bless us so that the whole world fears you, worships you, adores you. So you see how that kind of works? Like you, you start with the same idea, same idea, main idea. And the main idea is he's looking forward to, to God's rule. And he wants everyone to be glad that that's going to happen. And the thing is, in order to be glad that God is ruling, you need to be on his side. <laughs> you, you need to know about him. You need to know who he is, his salvation, and you need to worship him. And we see that the writer has, has basically three things that he's encouraging Israel to do. Um, verse two gives us two of the things. Through their blessing, they were supposed to make sure that God's ways were known on the earth. And not just his ways, but they were supposed to make sure that his salvation was known among the nations. So first two responsibilities, make God's way known among the earth. Second, make his salvation known among the nations. The third responsibility that the psalmist gives to uh, the Israelites is found in verse seven. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Basically, teach people how to worship. When it says fear, it's not talking about, oh, I'm afraid, but it's talking about awe and wonder and, and worship of who God is. So from this, uh, from this psalm, we have three responsibilities that the Israelites had to make known God's ways, to make his salvation known, and to, to make sure that um, they were communicating well what it means to worship God. And the whole point of doing that is the psalmist has the end in mind. And he's saying, look at this. Do you guys realize we get to be a part 
of God's ruling when he comes and he sets up his kingdom? Like we get to be a part of that. That's amazing. We should want everyone to be a part of that. And you know what? God has given us certain blessings. And and so like, let's not hoard that for ourselves. Let's not just keep that for ourselves, but let's take those and use them so that this happens. So that people know God's ways, so that they, they hear of his salvation and so that they worship him. So that's kind of the, the gist of, of the psalm and how it works. But let's look, you know, just a little bit closer at those, those three responsibilities that, um, that are brought out here. So first, know God's ways. God's people have always acted differently than the world around them. You know, you, you go back to the Old Testament, first couple books of the Bible, a great creation, Abraham, all that fun stuff. And then you get into these books that are like, oh, I have to read five chapters about sacrifices and, you know, all, all this stuff. And some people are tempted to, you know, just kind of skip that stuff because it, it's not really that important, right? <laughs> well, no, it is important. It's important because this is God telling his people, Israel, how to be different than the world and, and how to do things um, in order to reflect his character and reflect who he is. And um, the, the world around the Israelites were doing all sorts of evil things. And so God says, hey, instead of uh, sacrificing your babies to a wooden object, um, this is what sacrifice really means. You know, you, you take a lamb. And it's a symbol of, of what I'm going to do someday. And you sacrifice that lamb. And, and it set them apart from everybody else. So God's ways were, were very important to the identity of Israel. But they were important too because they, they communicated things about who God was and, and what he was going to do. The point of being different than the world wasn't so that the world would look at Israel and say, wow, those guys are awesome. The point was that the world would look at Israel and say, what's going on here? And then Israel would say, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Unfortunately, what did Israel do? They kind of liked the blessings and the glory and the stuff that, that came with it. And the nations would say, well, you guys are different. And they would say, yeah, you're right. We're pretty awesome. And we're going to rule over you someday. <laughs> and they missed it, right? I mean, they were supposed to take those blessings and turn them into, yeah, here are God's ways. Here's his salvation. Join us. And they didn't. And it's, you know, that was Israel, but what about us? Are we, you know, are we Israel? No, we're not Israel, but we are the people of God in the sense that we are his sons and daughters if we put our faith in him. So should we, do we need to care about God's ways? Well, absolutely. 
I mean, read Galatians chapter five. You have this whole list of the, the deeds of the flesh and they're just despicable. They're bad things. And then right after the deeds of the flesh, what do we have? Fruit of the spirit. What's that? Well, that's God telling his people, hey, act different. Here's my way. Don't go sleeping around. Don't go hating people. Don't go killing people and all this stuff, but practice love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's my way. Do it. So we're not Israel, but we have kind of the same responsibility to make God's ways known to those around us. I mean, we should be different than other people who don't know God, who don't have Jesus as their savior. But again, why is it so we can say, I am the most humble person in the state of Washington? No, because that's a lie. And because you're just, all the glory is on you when the glory is supposed to go to God, right? So if somebody notices, hey, you're, you're a lot more patient than a lot of people I know, you say, well, you know, I have to tell you, it's really not because of me. You know, I mean, I'm a sinner and I, I have the same tendencies to get angry, but I've realized my need for a savior and I've put my faith in Christ and he helps me to be who I wouldn't be without him. You know, and that's like you're making God's way known, right? So Israel was supposed to make God's way known. We are supposed to make God's way known. They were also supposed to talk about salvation. Um, verse two again says, your salvation among all the nations. That's what they're, they're, they're supposed to be driving at, making God's salvation known to all the nations. And this kind of harkens back to, to Genesis 3. You know, everything was, was perfect. God made uh, the universe. God made earth. He made everything. He had perfect fellowship with, with man. And then sin. And after that, things were not good. There was a, a huge uh, chasm opened up that, that separated us from the holiness and the righteousness of God and separated us from, from relationship with him. And it, it was the chasm of sin. And we all have it. And none of us can get from one side to the other. It's only through Christ. And we see back there in Genesis 3, not just sin entering, but we see the beginning of a plan. God's plan of salvation. He says, hey, Eve, you know, one day, one of your offspring is going to crush Satan. And from that point on, you have this, this yearning, this longing of, well, who's this going to be? You know, how's this going to happen? And there's more and more that, that God reveals through time. And, you know, ultimately we get to this guy named Abraham. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, if you want to turn there real quick. First couple of verses, Genesis 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, 
and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, called out by God for no particular reason, just because God chose Abraham, hey, I'm going to show you my grace and my mercy. And the reason I'm doing that is what? So that Abraham can get all puffed up and say, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. God chose me. (laughs) Too bad he didn't choose you. No. The reason was, verse 2, I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing to everybody else. And verse three, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Looking forward to the savior that would come through Abraham's line. So we have this, um, this plan of salvation that starts the moment sin enters the world. And then it's, it's kind of clarified through Abraham and it goes through um, you know, there are different covenants and, and different things in the Old Testament that, that get us thinking, ooh, when's it coming? When's it coming? And then Jesus comes. And he dies on the cross for our sins. And he pays the price. And he satisfies God's wrath. And he says, all you need to do is believe. You can't, don't try. You can't work. You can't do enough good things to please my father. It's faith. Believe in me and I will give you my righteousness. And that's the only way. Well, in this psalm, the nation of Israel wasn't, uh, wasn't privy to the knowledge of Jesus in particular, but they knew that the Messiah was coming. And they were to point the nations around them to the Messiah and say, come, join us. Worship God. Follow his ways because he has a plan and he has someone coming who's going to make everything right. Instead, what did they do? Well, we catch kind of a glimpse of the uh, Israelite thought towards the nations in the prophet Jonah. That story isn't primarily about a whale, just so you know. Um, But we have Jonah, he goes through the whole whale thing. He goes to Nineveh. He says, hey, you guys are going to be destroyed. And then the whole city repents and starts worshiping God. And what does Jonah do? Yes, right? Is he excited that they understand God's ways and his salvation? No, he goes, God, I knew you were gonna do this. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate and I knew that you were gonna save these people and I'm ticked off. I wanna die. I am so angry with you for showing them mercy. What is that? (laughs) 
That's the opposite of what this psalm is talking about. But that was the nation of Israel. God bless us, bless us, bless us. Kill them. <laughs> and, you know, we kind of laugh at it. Oh, silly Jonah. Glad I'm not like the nation of Israel. But, you know, sometimes we, we may not have that extreme but, you know, when we have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and we go, mm, well, this might be kind of awkward, so I think I'll just keep it to myself. What are we doing? We aren't outwardly saying, I hate you, but that's kind of the, you know, that's the implication is that I don't love you enough to really tell you about salvation. To get over my fears or anxiety or whatever it is. God bless me, give me a good job, give me a good day so that I can be blessed and have a good job and have a good day. No. God bless me so that I can let people know about you, your ways, your salvation. It's amazing. And you know what? If the people did this, if, if, if Israel did what the, what the psalmist was asking them to do, what would the result be? The peoples would praise God. All the peoples would praise him. But they were failing. And, and so the psalmist is like, hey, come on, Israel. We got to do this. Why? Because there's going to come a time where God sets up his kingdom here. New earth. New heavens. Jerusalem. And if you're not part of that, where are you? You're in hell. And we should care about that. You know, part of the, the cool thing about being involved in different uh, life events that, that are meaningful, you know, whether it's uh, sports or, or a wedding or a funeral or whatever it is, part of the significance of that is that we, we want others to be involved, you know? Hey, come join me. Be happy with me. Because we're doing really good in our particular sport or, you know, this is awesome. Come join me. It should be the same thing about God's kingdom. He's going to set up his kingdom. I'm going to be there. Are you? Come on. Let me, let me tell you. You know, here are God's ways. Here's his salvation. Like, join me. Let's go there together. Rather than, well, too bad for you. I know I'm going to be there. So we have those, those first two things, know God's ways, know his salvation. The last thing that the, the author of the psalm asked the Israelites to do is to um, you know, ask for God's blessing so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. I said this before, but fear here is not talking about um, you know, actually being afraid of something, but it's, it's 
worship, it's reverence. It's the, um, the starting place of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. You know, it, it's all of this that, that is wrapped up in following God and following his ways, knowing his salvation should result in the fear of the Lord. Worship, honor, reverence. And this is something that, that people need. We, we all worship something. We all give our, our time, our energy, our reverence, our respect to something. It should be God. Unfortunately, in the world, without God, it becomes many other things. Romans 1 talks about this. It says that people took the revelation of God, the general revelation of God, and have suppressed it, and instead have followed many other things. And that's the state of the world. You know, people worship their bank account. They worship uh, sex. They worship a lot of different things instead of God. And Israel's job was to worship God in a way that that drew others around into worship with them. And they didn't. They turned it into a chore, a task. They turned it into a way to make money. Which is why, you know, when Jesus saw the, the money changers, he was kind of ticked off in a righteous way. And he turned their tables over. He said, get this out. This is not worship. We need to worship God in a proper way. Um, you know, if, if worship is something that's like, well, oh, yeah, I have to go to church on Sunday. Um, man, can I get out of that to do this other thing? What's that? Is that real worship? Is that like, oh, I love you, God. No, that's like, well, I guess I better do this. Not worship. And, and that's, you know, the problem that Israel had is the same problem that we have. We're not Israel, but we're kind of in the same boat in a lot of ways. So, the, the writer of this psalm is, is trying to encourage Israel to, uh, to do these three things. And the interesting thing is that they, they stem from God's blessing. If you look at verse 1 and verse 7, or excuse me, verse 1 and verse 6, you see that the psalmist is asking for God's blessing. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us in verse one. And in verse six, he says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. He's talking about blessings from God. The bad thing in, in our day and age is that, um, you know, we have the prosperity gospel and, and other things that, that latch on to those verses. And really what they do is they, they take the whole order of this psalm, you know, the focus is supposed to be God's kingdom and his glory and his reign 
and all nations being involved in that. That's the main focus. Unfortunately, today, a lot of people flip that around and make our blessing the focus. And they say, well, yeah, serve God, praise his name, and he'll give you anything you want. They don't say it as creepy like that, but they should because they're selling lies. It's false. It's not what God's word says. You don't follow God to get what you want. God blesses you so that you would proclaim his name and so that you would be looking forward to, to his kingdom and his rule and so that you would use those blessings for his glory, not your own. And if anybody tells you, well, you want that car? Just pray a little bit harder. They've got it all wrong. <laughs> and you should say, get out of here, creepy man. <laughs> so we have this, you know, the psalm and um, the, the psalmist is just imploring Israel to, to change their heart to change the way that they are um, thinking about those around them, the, the nations around them. Um, and he's saying, look, the reason we should do this is because we get to, we're part of God's plan on earth. I don't know exactly why he chose it to do, or chose to do it like this, but God has chosen to, bring the nations to himself through Israel and through you and me by us opening our mouths, by us living our lives in a way that testifies to God's way, to his salvation and true worship of him. And if we, if we do that, we have the privilege of being involved in bringing more people along for the awesome, incredible reign of God. Now, I know, I'm a good Calvinist. I, it's not me who saves. It's not my gospel presentation that saves. God works in their hearts. But Romans 10 uses people to tell other people. How can they, how can they know who God is unless somebody tells them? How, be how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. That's you and me. Can be you and me. It should be you and me. I'll, I'll reverse that order too. It should be me and then you guys. Because, I mean, I'm in this. <laughs> and here's the the sobering aspect of, of all of this. If you turn back to Revelation, you know, we started there looking at God's kingdom and, you know, chapter, Revelation 21 goes on to explain the new Jerusalem um, and the, the temple and uh, just amazing things. Or no temple because God is there. The lamb is there. And that's awesome. It's so 
just, <laughs> you know, the, the older I get, the more this looks really good. Um, I don't know about you. But the flip side of that is that if you're not involved in this, it doesn't turn out well. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sounds like one bad dude. <laughs> He's not messing around. And here's where it gets even worse. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh." If you're not a part of God's kingdom that he's bringing, you will be destroyed. You'll be destroyed, but I'm not saying it'll be like that. You will die, and then you will go to hell, and in hell you will suffer eternally. You know, I can just picture this, this scene here in Revelation 19 and millions of people gathering together, getting, you know, bring all your guns, get your swords, get whatever they have. We're going to go fight against God because we hate him. We love the beast. And they're going to get together and they're going to have all their stuff and they're going to be like, all right, here we go. And God shows up. Jesus comes riding on a white horse and he's got all the armies of heaven behind him, but he doesn't need it. They're just there to show his glory. And they start throwing everything that they have against God and Jesus says, it's over. And with the word of his mouth, dead. The best 
or maybe the worst that we can think of to go against God. And he just says, eh, done. And he doesn't like take pleasure in that, I don't think, but it's, it's just who he is. He can't tolerate evil. He can't tolerate rebellion because of who he is. And if you aren't part of his kingdom, you're on the other side. And you will be destroyed for all of eternity. And that should sober us up a little bit. Because we, if we have put our faith in Christ, have the incredible privilege of being part of what God is doing. But our friends, our family, our coworker, our you know, neighbors, and everyone else who doesn't know Jesus is on the other side. Don't you think we should want to bring him on over? Know God, know his ways. Here's his salvation. Worship him with me. Come on. And that's what, you know, that's what the writer of Psalms is trying to get at. If you're not worshiping God, you're dead. You're destroyed. Forever. One of the things that Piper writes in, in the book that I told you, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, but worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate. And what he means by that is, Keeping in mind everything that's going to happen, in the end, if you aren't part of worshiping God, then you're hopeless and helpless. And so our aim as a church should be to create more people who are going to be there with us worshiping God in this great event. And, and that, that desire to have friends and family and coworkers and neighbors and everybody else, um, they're worshiping with us is what should drive us to evangelism, missions, all that stuff. Missions and evangelism are the, the means to the end of having true worshipers of God. And so... You know, as, as we consider this, this psalm and as we, um, you know, go into our, our missions conference this next week and just as we go into our lives, um, I think we need to realize that, that we're part of something big. You know, it, it's great to be... Uh, part of a winning sports team. It's great to be part of a wedding. It's great to be part of, you name it. But guys, we have the amazing privilege to be a part of God's plan and what he's doing to bring salvation and his kingdom to this earth. So let's act like it. Let's talk like it. Let's worship like it. Let's do what Israel didn't do. Let's Let's spread God's way, the news of his salvation. 
Let's worship him and, and, and invite others to worship with us. You know, that's the, the point of this psalm is it's, it's looking at the end of times to bring us back to here and now and say, God blesses you so that you would do this stuff. You may think, well, you know, God hasn't blessed me very much. I don't have the car that I want. I don't have the house that I want. Eh. You woke up. You have breath. You have billions of cells in your body working together to, you know, make you able to walk and talk. That's blessing enough. Everything else is just kind of added benefits. And if God you know, blesses you with material things. What's the end? Is it just so that you can have more stuff? No, it's so that you can use that so that God's ways would be known, his salvation would be known, and that there would be more worshipers. That's the point. So hopefully... You look at this and you, and you see, you know, God's desire for Israel, but also God's desire for us is that we would be a part of his kingdom and that we would bring more and more people into that same event with us and be excited about it wherever we are. This isn't a, a missions talk like you have to go to uh, India or you have to go across the world, you just find people that aren't saved and talk to them, you know? And if we all do that, every tongue, tribe, and nation will be there. And that's exciting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to look at your word, to consider um, your desire for the nation of Israel, but for us. And Lord, I, I pray that, um, that we would be um, moved to, to keep the end in mind and to not get distracted by, by life and just the, the things going on. And, um, but Lord, help us to have an eternal perspective. And, and I pray that we, would, that we really would desire to have more people worshiping you in the end. And that, that would move us to, to tell your ways and to um, explain your salvation. Lord, we, we ask that you would do that in us and through us, through the power of your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.